0: If it were up to me, I wouldn't relate much to people at all. Just give me my office, give me my computer, give me my cell phone so I can call my students into my office and command them what to do. That's all I need. I don't need to relate to people. That's how I would be in myself. But God calls me to be different. I can no longer live like that. He has called me to work in relation to people, to serve other people. We are called as believers to do things that stretch us, that, that are, would normally be unpleasant for us. Because you say, well, well I'm, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm more of an introvert. Well, change. We are in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And remember the context here is that Paul has shared in these churches in Galatia, five or six churches in that region, he shared with them. And then after he shares with them, the Judaizers come in. That's what the, 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 that, uh, how they're described. And they, they tell people that they need to start living by the, by the Old Testament law, the, the law of Moses, starting with circumcision and then obeying all the 613 commandments after that. So, so uh, Paul is trying to set the record straight here. And to say, no, that's, that's not quite what you have to do, and, and you, you're not under anything in the law. Nothing. Uh, you're not under that at all. And so he says, let's pick it up in Galatians chapter 5. We'll start reading from verse 10. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. So in verse, in verse uh, um, 10, he says, he, he talks about the one who's disturbing you, whoever he is. And we looked last time at how if Paul had known his name, he would have called him out because, because Paul wasn't afraid to call, people's, call out people's names. Uh, uh, remember, Hymenaeus and Alexander, he called them out. And, uh, um, and even John, John, the, the sweet John, he called out Diotrephes. And so, so uh, to call people out by name who were disturbing in the church. And so, so uh, but then he says in verse 12, he says, but I, brethren, I'm sorry, verse 11, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? So remember, the Judaizers were accusing him of teaching circumcision to the the Jews, but then when he's among Gentiles, to not teach teach circumcision. And that's not at all the case. Paul never taught that you had to be circumcised. Never taught that. And and to the Jews, he wasn't teaching circumcision in in the sense that he's talking about. They they say that uh, if he's still teaching circumcision, he did this... In the sake, of, in 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 the case of Timothy, as a witness to others, so that that. But what he says is, even their logic, their logic is not making sense. Their logic is not making sense here, and and uh, um, and this is often how it is with accusations. If you really look at the accusation, the logic doesn't make sense. And then we see here in verse twelve, he says, "I wish that those who are troubling you." would even mutilate themselves. And, and so this is, this is really getting uh, uh, quite intense here. Paul is saying, look, they're, good, they're teaching circumcision. Let them go ahead and castrate themselves with it. I mean, Paul is pretty strong in his words. Now, I know in our day and age, we're so sophisticated, we're so woke that we never speak like that. Um, I remember a day in my lifetime, people spoke like that all the time. You're not allowed to speak like that anymore. I mean, professors, even in their classrooms, would lecture saying things like that. And nobody got upset. Nobody reported it to the dean of students. Nobody got reprimanded. It was just sort of a way of life. And uh, um, so I'm sure in Paul's day, it was even more vivid. And, and so he writes it in the scriptures. The scriptures even even talk about it in this way. So Paul could be quite intense and, and quite descriptive. So let's look at verse 13 now in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren... Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. So that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So, back up in verse 13, he says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And as I said last time, as I'm teaching here about freedom, we're, we, we're not under the Old Testament law. Several people have come up to me afterward and they've said, so is that saying we can do whatever we want? And that's exactly what happened to Paul. People would say, so we can can we do whatever we want now? And you see that uh, in, in the book, in the book of uh, uh, Romans. When Paul was teaching in in Rome, the same sort of thing. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. So the same questions people were asking then, they ask now. If, we do, if, we're, if we're free in Christ, we can do whatever we want. And Paul says, no way. And so what he says, he says, uh, uh, Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So he says, here's what not to do. And then right after that he says, Here's what you should do. This is a pattern throughout the scriptures. Here's what you should not do. Here's what you should do. And then he talks about often following it. And here's the results if you walk uprightly. Here's the results if you do what you should do. So he says, he says, uh, uh, he says, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. So he says, do not do this. But he says, what should we do? Through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. And then he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he says, when it comes to serving one another, remember there's, there's, there's two parts to the Ten Commandments. So there's the first four verses that talk about our relationship with God. The last six verses talk about our relationship to other people. These commandments that Jesus said are the most important is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And and in the Old Testament, your strength. And then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So now he's talking about the things where where, uh, uh, we're relating to others. And he says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. If you do this, you're going to be all right. You don't need the 613 commandments to deal uprightly with your fellow human being. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll be all right. You learn to love your neighbor. And so you see here again a command, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are commanded to love. So there is an Old Testament commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, that's transcribed into the New Testament. Of the 10 commandments, Nine of them are transcribed into New Testament commandments. The only one that is not is the Sabbath day. And that's why we don't feel compelled to come here on, on, on Friday just as the sun is going down for, to have a worship service or something. That, that, uh, uh, this this, this uh, Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. But this has been transcribed from the Old Testament into the commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we are commanded to love. And when you think about it, to command somebody to love seems, seems antithetical. How can you command me to love? So, so if you were to say, I command you to love me, be like, like, uh, you're the last person I would love if you're going to try to command me to love you. Yet God commands us to love him and he commands us to love our neighbor. We can get commanded in all sorts of things, but how do you command a person to love you? The way you can do this is you give them everything they need to walk in love. God never calls upon us to do something that we're unable to do. And he he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are commanded to love our neighbor. We don't have an option anymore. We are commanded to love We're commanded to go the extra mile in this. We're commanded to do things that people wouldn't normally do. You know, sometimes your neighbor, your actual physical neighbor, the next room or the next house, does something that's offensive to you, and your natural tendency would be, well, if that's the way you're gonna be, I can be that way too. And the Bible says, no, you can't. No, you can't. They're an unbeliever, you're a believer. Or they're a believer not walking rightly. You want to be a believer walking rightly. You are commanded to treat them differently than they have treated you. You're commanded to treat drivers differently than the way they might might treat you while you're driving. We are commanded to do this. As believers, we are commanded to be different in the world than other people are. So we are commanded, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, if you do that, you don't need all of these other commandments. If you just take hold of that. You're going to be all right. And he says, uh, uh, don't give an opportunity to the flesh in verse 13, but through love, serve one another. It is through service that we excel in this through service. If it were up to me, I wouldn't relate much to people at all. Just give me my office. Give me my computer. Give me my cell phone so I can call my students into my office and command them what to do. That's all I need. I, I don't need to relate to people. That's how I would be in myself. But God calls me to be different. I can no longer live like that. He has called me to work in relation to people, to serve other people. We are called as believers to do things that stretch us, that, that are, would normally be unpleasant for us because you say, well, well I'm, I'm not an outgoing person. I'm more of an introvert. Well, change, the Bible says. You can't be just introverted and just use that as an excuse anymore. You can't because you've been called. Remember, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says we are, we are to submit ourselves to God. Uh, and this is, he's calling us to do this. He's not. He says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to offer yourselves as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's calling us to do this. He's urging us to do this. It is not a command to become enslaved to the Lord. We go from slave to sin to freedom. And then he he, he calls us to take our freedom and walk in, in, in servitude to the Lord. To give ourselves in service to the Lord. That's what he calls us to do. We are not, we don't have to do it in that sense. He calls us to this because he wants willingness. But once we accept that, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord. Okay, here's what I have you to do. You want to serve me? You can't be introverted anymore and use that as an excuse. You have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to step out and relate to people. And this is why I say, when we have these lunches, Sit with other people that you might not know. Sit with other people that, that, uh, that might not be believers. Get to know other people. You can't just sit with your friends all the time anymore because we're called as believers. We're called to get to know other people, to reach out to them. These are, this is, he says, through love, serve one another. You get up, you serve, you pick up trash, you do things. You get up and you serve one another. He says, well, you know, I, I kind of like to eat. Well, good, eat quickly and then serve. Or serve and then eat quickly and serve and, and, and then do these things. We are to change. We are to change the way we normally are. We are to serve one another. This is what we're called to do. And then he says, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, but if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say to you, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And this by the spirit might mean by the Holy Spirit, or it might be by the new spirit that is within you. This new spirit that is within within you, the the the, the uh and because I have I've I've read that the that the uh um the definite article, the word the, the spirit, is not there in in in, in the original text. It says, walk by spirit. That's that's what I have read. Uh, Although when I went to the Young's Literal, it does have the definite article. So so I I just don't know what to think at this point. But but one of you theologians can can look that up for me. But he what he does is he has this where he he tells us, don't do. Here's what you do. And here's the outcome. And I'm going to give you some examples of this. So you see how this is is throughout the scriptures in in many places. So. for example, in, in, um, in Romans, in Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So he says, do not be overcome by evil. So he gives us commandment, do not do this. He doesn't leave us there. He says, now you overcome evil with good. You do specific acts of good. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, you do specific acts of good to people who it's difficult for you to do it to. People who have offended you, people who have wronged you, you are to think, okay, if I liked this person, what would I do for them? I'd, get, I'd go buy them a Starbucks coffee or something. What would you do for them if you liked them? Go ahead and do that but I don't like them. Exactly. That's why you're called to do this. You overcome this evil tendency in your life, in our lives, we overcome this evil tendency by doing a specific act of good. So think about that person that really gets under your skin, that really bothers you at work, or really bothers you you know, in your apartment or wherever you live. Do them a specific act of good. that boss of yours that, that you think treats you poorly. Find out what it is that boss likes and, and get them that. If they, if they like hunting, buy them, buy them a hunting knife or something, you know, just something like that. Buy them a gift and just give it to them. Just say here, I just wanted you to have this. And, and you will see, it will start to change your attitude toward them and it will start to change their attitude toward you. And if we look in Romans chapter 12 again, let's start reading at verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So he says, this is what you don't do. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. As believers, we can't reward evil with evil. We're not allowed to do that. Well, I won't throw the first punch, but if they throw it at me, I'm coming at them. No, the Bible says we are called to something different. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. And then, and then, he. so what should I do, Lord? Well, the next sentence. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Only do the things that are right. Respect what is right for all men. So you see how he says, don't do this, do this. Let's look at the next line. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, Try to be at peace with all men. Then he says again, he tells us what not to do. Never take your revenge. This is Romans 12, verse 19. Never take your own revenge. Never take your own revenge. He did it to me. I'll do it to him. Nope, you can't do that anymore. You want to walk with Christ? you got to be different. Never take your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God. So he says, here's what you should do. Leave room for the wrath of God. Let God deal with it. As a child of God, I assure you, if somebody does you wrong, as a child of God, somebody has done you wrong, and you do not go back at them in vengeance, God will deal with them. Any parent can tell you, when somebody says or does something negative to their child, somebody hurts their child, I mean, as a parent, you're like, Uh, just watch it. (laughs) You know, and that's how God is. He really, really protects his children. And he says, leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You see, when God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, that has set in motion how the universe works. It has to happen that way. When we leave the vengeance to God, God will repay. God will repay. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. There's been a couple of times in business where Shireen has seen this happen to me, where people have come against me and, I'm th- and, I, and I won't say anything to them, won't do anything. And I'm thinking, it's not going to go well for you. I'm just thinking about it. I come home, I'll tell Shereen. I mean, this person doesn't know how much God loves me. They just don't know how much God loves me. And you know what happens? The person dies. I'm not kidding you. Dies. I have nothing to do with it. It's what the word of God says. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Now, I don't want you to get scared of, you know, working with me. But but this is what it says. Vengeance is mine. It is so real. It is so real. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Once it's written in the word of God like this, it has to happen. You see, God's word, it it wasn't that God's word said, I think at some point there's going to be light or at some point there will be light. God said, let there be light. Boom, there's light. God's word defines what the universe does. I will repay, says the Lord. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. So this is what we are to do. He says, don't do this. Here's what you do. You're to be totally different in the way you you react. Look in in, uh, uh, the book of of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, reading from verse 6. We're going to see again this pattern. Don't do this. Do this. And here's going to be the outcome. Don't do this, but you should do this, and here will be the outcome. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. So we're not to be anxious for things. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. You you could be totally at peace, and then all of a sudden you start thinking about something. And nothing has happened. Nothing has changed. You just start thinking about something, and all of a sudden you start getting really anxious. Like, how am I ever going to deal with that? This is just terrible. Just two minutes ago, you were fine, and now your blood pressure is up. Nothing has changed in the world except some chemicals in your mind. That's it. Some chemical interactions in your mind. That's the only thing that's changed, and all of a sudden, it's getting you in a tizzy. He says, "Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God." So don't do this. Don't be anxious. Well, what should I do? He says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Start to pray about it. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So you start giving thanks. Lord, thank you that I have a quiet home just to reflect. Thank you that I have a chair to sit on. Thank you that I have a mind to think with thanksgiving. And then pray, Lord, I'm getting all stirred up about this. Lord, would you take care of that situation? I just got to commit that to you. This is what he says to do. Don't do this, do this. Verse 7. And the peace of God. Here's the result of now what's going to happen. Don't do this, do this. Here's the result. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4, 7. Then the peace of God... The peace of God, which will, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God comes in and he starts to give you peace in the midst of this trouble. He starts to give you peace in the midst of this. You know, if, if I start thinking too much about what could happen to my family in Israel, you know, I start getting, you know, I start perspiring. I mean, it says, but you just commit this to the Lord And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He wants us to learn to walk in this peace. And now he says something else that we should do. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. He says, I want you to think about good things. He says, is there anything that's true? Is there anything that's lovely, anything good, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise? You think about these things. So you see what he's doing. He's teaching us to change the way we think. He's teaching us to think about good thoughts, to think about good things. He says, you get your mind on these things, it's going to change you. You will be different when your mind starts getting to you and, you, and, and starts getting you worried about so many things. Because if you really add up all the things that you're going to ha- you have to do in life for the next 30 years, you'll be overwhelmed. Or even for the next two months of this semester, you'll be overwhelmed. I mean, if you think, how am I ever going to get done all those projects and all those exams? I mean, you keep thinking like that, you'll you'll just be overrun. You'll just be overrun. He says, what I want you to do is I want you to train your mind to think about things that are true, honorable, right, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, anything excellent. I want you to think about those things. And he says, the result of this is is that that, uh, um, you dwell on these things, and in verse 9 is the result. The things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He says, the things I just told you about, you've seen it worked out in my life. He says, you practice these things, the things you've just heard and seen, you practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Peace comes through practice. Peace comes through practice. You practice these things. It's not going to come automatically. You have to practice these things. It is a, it is a, a direct thought that, okay, I'm not going to think, I'm going to think about good things. I'm going to think about things that are worthy of praise. I'm going I'm to train my mind to think about these things, and then all of a sudden, you'll see the peace of God coming upon you and everybody wants peace in their life. Everybody wants peace. I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning and says, I hope this is a terrible day. I hope everything goes wrong this day. No, nobody wants that. Everybody wants peace in their life. He says, he says and, and, and the God of peace will be with you. You will have peace in your life. So what he does is he says, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. And this is what he tells us to do in this, in this portion in Galatians. He says, uh, uh, do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This same pattern he does over and over again. He's the same pattern in the Old Testament. Why don't you turn to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm 1. He says, how blessed is the man who does not. All right, so he's telling us what not to do. Psalm 1 verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not Walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. So he says, ble- he says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. You know, you can have all sorts of people giving you advice, but look at their lives. Look at their lives. Is that the person you want to be taking advice from? He says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners. In other words, don't be, don't be going along in the way of sinners, the people who are, are going to do evil nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Don't be one of those people who sits around and complains all the time. I don't want those people working for me. I don't. I mean, if somebody's always complaining about how miserable it is, I said, why, why don't you think about going to a place where you're not so miserable, where things are better? Why don't you go to a better place? Go, 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 go to a different university. Go to a different place. You know, that, 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 that's, that's a better place for you. He, say, he says, don't stand... In the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He says, You don't have to sit around, so don't do these things. Well, what should you do? He says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So when you do this thing, when you meditate day and night, what should you do? You should take the word of God and make it your delight. You should meditate on it day and night. So this is what you should do instead meditate on the word of God. Well, what's going to happen if I do that? Funny you should ask, look at the next verse. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. Don't do this, do this, here's the outcome. That's a beautiful outcome. If I meditate each day, every day in the word of God, this is why I keep putting this before you, get in this practice of daily meditation. This is another place of a promise of the outcome that, of, of when you get in the Word of God every day. This is the outcome. You'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. So when everybody else is drying up, you won't be drying up. You've got streams of water right next to you. Tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. In its season. You will be bearing fruit. When everybody else can't bear fruit, you'll be bearing fruit. Its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. This is the assurance for us. You see this pattern throughout the scriptures. Don't do this, do this, here's the outcome. And as we look at this more next week, we'll see this outcome, this will be propagated throughout this. You'll see, don't do this, do this, and here's the outcome. And when we take the word of God and we take hold of it and believe it, because we have every reason to believe this, Because God's word says it, boom, it has to happen. It's not just prophesying, I think this is what's going to happen in the future. No, it defines what the future is. God's word defines the future for us. If you are an unbeliever and you do not know the Lord, you don't have the power to walk in this. It's not there. Please come and talk to me. You'll get to know the Lord this very day. And then you can learn to walk in this. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Your word is wonderful. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to walk according to your word, that they would see this pattern of what not to do, what they should do, and then read about the blessing that will follow. Lord, your grace and your mercies be upon them. Draw them close to Jesus. Father, give them a love for the word of God because I know if they're in your word daily, they will be okay, they will be protected, they will be watched over, they will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and whatever they do, they will prosper according to your word. Glory be to Jesus, glory be to him, amen. thank you for listening. If you'd like to give to help out with these podcasts, you can go to jesusandscience.org. All donations are tax deductible. We have no employees in this organization. All the money just goes for the contract work on the production. Thanks so much.